Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Whether you're looking to get on your very first store shelf or you're looking to grow your national or even international food brand, this podcast is going to teach you what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale a packaged food brand. Hear the food founder journeys of brands growing in their industry so you can fast track your food business success. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Caroline Cotto from Renewal Mill, and we are going to be talking about what Renewal Mill is, their journey to where they are right now. And I know there's going to be tons of great nuggets for everyone here. So Caroline, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Great to have you on here. Uh, For anyone who is not familiar with Renewal Mill right now, can you just set the stage and let us know what is Renewal Mill and what are you guys all about? Yeah. So Renewal Mill is a next generation ingredients company. We are really focused on fighting climate change with upcycled food. So we are trying to reduce global food loss by taking the leftovers from food manufacturing and turning them into higher value products that we can um, enjoy like flowers and baking mixes and ready to eat cookies. How did you come upon doing this type of business? There's a whole lot of different uh, food and bed businesses out there. What made you decide to go into this and and with upcycling specifically? Yeah. So I have a co-founder named Claire and she um, founded Boston's first organic juice company and was kind of just appalled at the amount of juice pulp going to waste every day in that process. Um, She was taking a lot of effort to source really um, premium organic produce from local farms and then at the end of the day, she was just left with mountains of like carrot pulp and fr- vegetable pulp and fruit pulp. She tried to like make it into muffins and stuff, but it was just more than she could handle. And then we had a fortuitous meeting with the owner of the third largest tofu company in the country. And he was like, you think you have a pulp problem at your tiny juicing business? I'm running a factory that's making, you know, thousands of tons of pulp waste a week. Um, and it really just opened our eyes to the fact that there are all of these places across the food supply chain where nutrition was being lost and just very arbitrarily labeled as waste. And we could actually capture that and bring it back into the supply chain and and capture that nutrition and bring it back to people's plates so that we're utilizing 100% of the food we produce. And then uh, we also started learning more about the impact that food waste was having on climate change. So if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases behind only China and the US. And reducing food waste is actually, according to Project Radon, the number one thing we can do to stop two degrees of global warming right now. So it's a, a big problem, but um, kind of a one of, we like to call it like one of the world's dumbest problems because, you know, there's so many people that need food. You know, this is really, really nutritious where we're processing out of our food system, the most nutritious parts of a lot of these inputs. And so it just, it made a ton of sense. And, and my personal background is on the nutrition side. So that's where, where I kind of came in. Got it. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. That's staggering statistic. Like that is, that, that is huge. Number one, in terms of the amount of like emissions from that, but then also just like what we can all do towards it. This is something that is manageable for all of us to be able to look at not wasting. And obviously the greatest way to be able to do that is by starting a company around it versus trying to do it individually. 100% we should do that, but having a company around it 
is the greatest impact for sure. Yeah, I think um, there was sort of a landmark study that came out from the NRDC about five years ago about just that that one statistic that most people have probably heard by this point that like 40% of food is wasted and that wasted just happening along all supports all parts of the supply chain. So that's happening at restaurants, in your kitchen, on the farm. Um, and you know, behavior change for individuals in the kitchen is really important, but we are kind of like going a little farther upstream and saying, how can we tackle this part of this problem at the manufacturing level? Um, and then really put that power back into the hands of consumers so that when they're shopping in the grocery store, they can say like, I can use my dollar to affect change on food waste in this very tangible way for um, by buying a product that I would normally buy anyway. I would buy a flour or I'd buy a baking mix or I'd buy a cookie, um, but now I'm actually helping solve something even bigger. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. People can definitely vote with their dollars that way. So, okay, you guys realized there was this massive opportunity here. You saw that there was this big need, especially from like large corporations, where they have all this waste. Walk me through what happened next. I would imagine it was probably quite a quite a piece building these relationships with some of these manufacturers that are now built right into your supply chain as well. Yeah. So, um, well, we, we really wanted to understand like this pain point for producers, right? Because they have these byproducts and sometimes they were able to have like farmers come pick up byproducts and take them away for animal feed. But a lot of them, for instance, that are in urban centers, they weren't uh, there was no farmers around that were able to come pick it up. So they're paying a lot of money to have this trucked away and then it's going directly to landfill. And we also started realizing that there are some challenges of working with byproducts. They start spoiling very quickly. So they need to be dealt with almost immediately. They're like usually 80 to 90% water. So they're super heavy to transport. And so as we started working through this, we realized that it made most sense to do something called a co-location model. So we're putting our technology inside of the manufacturing facilities of the partners that we work with to sort of process and capture these byproducts right on site and then turn them into the ingredients right there before they ever leave the factory floor. So we, we started playing around with the, um, the byproduct of soy milk production, which is the first step of making tofu, <laughs> um, and quickly learned that this pulp was about 80% water, but that we could dehydrate it down to less than 10% and turn it into a flour and then mill it and sell it. So, th so that's our flagship ingredient ingredient is called okara flour, which comes from the soybean pulp left over when you make soy milk. And what was the, what was that process? Like you're getting, you're getting a manufacturer who, you know, every single space within their factory is, has a, has a purpose, if you will. And you're yep. trying to get them on board with like, Hey, we're going to put some machinery in here to yeah. deal with all of this. It makes so much sense to have it on location, 100%. Yeah. How, how did you guys manage to get them all on, on board with that? Yeah. So we've actually found like through research that um, some of these factories were using up to a quarter of their factory floor footprint space just to house byproducts before disposal. So there's somebody at the factory whose full-time job was to take these byproducts, shovel them into buckets, and then drag those buckets across the floor into a cold storage warehouse until they could get picked up. Because, you know, like I said, they start spoiling really quickly, they start smelling, and especially with the, in the case of our first partner, they're in a residential neighborhood. And so they're getting complaints from 
from people around like saying, you know, what is this horrible smell? So they re- it really is a pain point for them. And so we were able to say, okay, we're only going to take up this much of your floor space. Um, we can put this equipment in and we're, we'll solve these headaches for you and actually turn this waste into revenue. And so a lot of people are really amenable to that. And we actually have a lot of inbound interest from producers who are now having to start complying with things like organic waste bans that are going into effect. And um, it's no longer just an option to kind of just, you know, set it, like let it, you know, forget it and hope that somebody comes and picks it up or that we can truck it away. But being proactive around it is is really important. And they're, they're happy to have the help. That's incredible. Yeah, you guys clearly solve a direct need for suppliers. You can work with them directly in your supply chain and then consumers are looking for ways to bring this into their life as well. Talk to me about that consumer piece. How has it been getting consumers on board with buying an upcycled product still new for a lot of people. Um, So what's that education process been like for you guys? Yeah, it's definitely the most challenging part of what we do. And um, we've definitely seen it evolve over the last four to five years that we've been doing this. So I think when we first started, we were really cautious about talking about the word waste in any capacity because we didn't want people to think that they were eating something of lesser value or lesser quality. Um, I like always joke that I was presenting once at a conference and this lady introduced me and she was like, this is the trash cookie lady. And I was like, that is absolutely not what we're doing at all. Um, so yeah, we didn't even have like, we didn't have the word food waste anywhere on our package. Um, we were really, really cautious to talk about what we were doing as, as value added. And we still are like, we're, we still want to, to, you know, be cognizant of the fact that this is a new concept for people and that, you know, we want to, to show that we really are keeping nutrition and giving them really, you know, high quality product. But we've leaned more into the impact side of things and really drawing that connection for consumers between upcycled food and its climate impact. Because I think that's sort of the gap that was missing. You know, people know that food waste is an issue, but they don't know how much of an issue it is and how much of an impact that it's having on this climate change um, outcome. So, that's uh, we just released a rebrand where all of our new packaging says fight climate change. Like really, first and foremost, all of our new designs are um, derived from weather pattern data. So like things like heat maps and tide depth maps and things like that to kind of you know draw it back for the consumer, not in so much in a literal way. Like you know, here's what we're taking when we're taking scraps and kind of piecing it together, but rather in more of like a, this is the impact that you're having. When you purchase upcycled food, you're directly um, helping fight climate change by reducing food waste. Mm-hmm. So, and we, um, we do have the word food waste on our package now. We're really trying to, to lean into that. There's been some also really cool studies that um, New Hope Network has done over the pandemic. So they're the organization that runs some of the biggest trade shows in food. And they sort of surveyed consumers on what environmental issues are you paying more attention to during the pandemic? And food waste was the number one thing that people said that they were paying the most attention to. But it's the only one on the list of things they had as far as like sustainable seafood or other other like uh, environmental concerns, like fair trade and things like that, that they were surveying for. Um, food waste was the only one that didn't have sort of a certification associated with it. So Renewal Mill helped found the Upcycled Food Association. And together with 130 other companies, we've just released the first ever upcycled product 
product certification program. So now products are going to be able to be certified upcycled the way that they're certified organic or certified non-GMO. And there's going to be a unique seal there that you can put on the front of your package and really help unify that message across all of the brands doing this so that consumers can have that very clear understanding of what upcycled food is and what it means. That's a great initiative, like bringing everyone together there, educating them on this. It's a concept that when you explain it to people, they're like, of course, this makes sense. Like, of course, we should be doing this. And it it takes innovation and entrepreneurs like you to be able to like make that actually accessible to people. Because a lot of times people find it daunting. They don't know what to do. Oh, I can only do so much in my own home, but this is actually a great way for people to truly make more impact. And, and you're really facilitating that entire community to now be able to grow now, which is great. Yeah. And I think it's always important to remember that like first and foremost, the product has to taste good, right? And it has to have some sort of like functional benefit for the consumers. So the sustainability piece is really important, but it's not enough to, to you know, be the only thing that's selling the product. So we, and we want, we do, you know, really try to highlight like this is both better for you and better for the planet, but it's also really delicious. Um, and that's, you know, the, the main selling point overall. At the end of the day, yeah, it's always going to taste good. It's food, right? No matter how great the mission is, no matter how fantastic the benefits, it's food and we're eating it or drinking it to uh, enjoy what that is. Absolutely. So you guys recently went through a rebrand um, and new packaging. Talk to me about the discussion even to put like food waste on there. Was that a clear yes for you guys up front? Or was there a lot of debate between you guys in terms of whether or not you should do it or not? Yeah, I think we've really, you know, struggled back and forth with that because it's like, Upcycling is our unique differentiator on shelf. And we want to highlight that first and foremost. We, that's like, you know, our product tastes delicious, but it also allows you to have this sustainable impact. So we definitely knew we wanted it to be at the forefront. And we'd actually gotten a lot of feedback from retailers that they wanted it to be more upcycled forward. So upcycling is a top 10 trend for 2021 named by Whole Foods, by the Food Network, um, by a lot of other big food outlets. And so we wanted to make sure in the rebrand that that was the first thing that came across when you looked at the package that you immediately understood that it was upcycled. We yeah, decided to opt for fight climate change and then um, a tagline of like fight climate change from your kitchen to kind of, again, have it be more of a forest for the trees view for the consumer and say like, this is, you know, you're purchasing a brownie mix, but what you're really doing is, you know, having this much larger impact on the entire food system. And then yeah, on the back, we explain a little bit more in depth what upcycling is, how that's connected to food that would have otherwise not been used or would have otherwise gone to waste and then direct consumers to the website to learn a little bit more about the, the nuances there. But yeah, we plan to certify our products through the Upcycled Food Association so that they'll have that seal front on pack as well. And we're working with some really exciting designers that have done branding for other sustainable seals to, to work on finalizing that for being on the, the first products this spring. Very cool. I look forward to seeing that on all the packages coming up. So w- talk to me about your distribution. Are you finding the majority of your sales right now from DTC or are you primarily retail focused? Yeah. So before the pandemic, we were actually doing a lot of our sales through food service. So we were selling our cookies into offices on the West Coast as office snacks. They had a little bit of a cult-like following there, which was was awesome. But with COVID, that channel disappeared overnight. So we really had to like pivot. Um, definitely had a little bit of a spaghetti at the wall strategy to figure out like where are our consumers and how can we best reach 
reach them. So we have um, a number of different channels right now. We are selling direct to consumer through our website. Um, we're doing some third-party e-commerce platforms. So we're on Thrive Market. We're on Good Eggs. Um, we're on Zero Grocery, which is a, a waste-free grocery store started in the Bay. And we're just launching on Fresh Direct. Um, and then, you know, even though online grocery has had such uh, growth this year, most of the grocery sales are still happening in brick and mortar. So we are um, expanding our presence there as well. We're mostly in California, but we have some limited retail presence on the East Coast and New York area and um, are looking to expand. Great. Yeah, I'm sure people will be looking for this, especially given the fact that it is one of the top trends that people have been calling out now. And I don't expect that to disappear. I feel like this is going to be like one of the up and coming trends that we're going to see for the next um, few years. So that must be it must make conversations with retailers somewhat easier with consumers that are already kind of there. Talk to me about the conversations that you've been able to have with investors around this type of value proposition and and how that has been for being able to help grow the company. Yeah, I think just to, to go back to the retailers for a second, we're really excited to see retailers really leaning into the trend and not only bringing on more upcycled products, but to having unique merchandising opportunities to sort of highlight upcycled as a category. Um, and also on online grocery as well, we're seeing different platforms add upcycled as a filter. So now you can you know filter for all the upcycled products on that platform, um, which is super cool and just like building this collective movement. And I think investors are kind of getting on board with that as well. Um, and so we're uh, through the Upcycle Food Association and at Renewal Mill personally, um, we're really trying to educate investors on like, this is this is a whole market of companies and there's a whole wealth of opportunities here. And like I said, this food waste is happening at every part of the supply chains and there's companies tackling it at every different part. So really helping investors understand what that full landscape looks like is, is really important. And then, you know, we're... Renewal Mill is actually a, a double model. So we're selling um, direct to consumer and through B2C channels, but we're also selling our ingredients B2B as inputs for other food companies. And I think that's something that's been um, a unique story to tell investors that not all of them get, but the ones that do get it are really invested. Um, so kind of showing that it's a symbiotic relationship. Like we are selling ingredients, but in order to drive that demand and get data to show them that this works, we have our own branded products in the market. And then we bring that back and say, hey, look, it works. And like, there is demand for this. And like, look at the success of the, of the marketing we've done and, and helps drive that full cycle. So yeah, we um, also were really excited this year to launch an equity crowdfunding campaign because we wanted to turn some of our consumers and like brand evangelists into investors in our company and help us build that movement and spread the word about upcycling, which is still mainly relegated to the coast. So we're trying to kind of help educate consumers at every level. How, talk to me about the crowdfunding campaign. What did that look like? Had you guys done that before? Um, and was it, I think a lot of people think when they think crowdfunding, they're like, oh, I get it. I'll just like launch a Kickstarter and it'll be super easy. I'm going to get all this cash in here. Um, yeah. And I know that's not true and so do you. So can you share a little bit about what that experience has been like for you? For sure. Yeah. Very similar to, to what you're saying. My co-founder Claire had launched a Kickstarter for her juice business and, you know, like almost a decade ago, she was like, yeah, yeah, well just, you know, crowdfunding is, it's awesome. You get all these people who are interested. And then it, it definitely is a lot of work to, to make the, the message, something that really resonates with people and kind of have that constant line of communication, because especially this year, there's been so many things that 
are very well deserving of people's money and attention and time. And so how you like kind of reach them through different social platforms and, and channels is, is definitely not, not an easy task. We decided to launch it through Republic, which has um, focused specifically a lot on female founders and diverse founders. Um, and they were really helpful in getting that up and running for us. And they've also had a lot of food brands come to the platform recently. So we definitely saw some of our some of our friends from the CPG community raising simultaneously, but yeah, we tried to leverage everything that that platform had to offer as far as like regular updates to the people who said they were interested in investing, um, leveraging our own personal networks, and then um, sort of incentivizing different gift or like tiers for people. So if you you know invest this much, you get access to the founders or access to early products and things like that. And it's been it's been really fun to sort of interact with that community because there's the whole host of expertise out there that like we were able to tap into through that like Republic community and then the larger angel list community that it came out of. So we feel really lucky to have those folks on board. Mm, that's that's awesome. And like great that you've been able to you know, do that, get that wealth of knowledge, get it out there. And like, it gives you an opportunity to also stay connected in with your fans throughout it all too, which is really fantastic. Yeah. And we've been able to sort of release like early insider information to them. So when we knew we were going to be releasing a new sugar cookie mix, we released it there first. And we knew we were going to be releasing the rebrand. We released it there first. And it's a great way to also get feedback on things. So like, we've been trying to test out like different point of sale marketing pieces, like what shelf talker resonates most with you? And we can put it up to that community first and get their honest feedback before, you know, we go to print and then put it on shelves that thousands of shoppers are going to see. That's huge to have that. It's like doing everything in silo by yourself. Even if you have a few people on your team, it's still always great to get that larger perspective and be able to use that to help influence some of the decision-making. Definitely. Yeah. What's been one of the biggest lessons, if you will, that you maybe have had over the years or that you wish you knew like then that you now know? Yeah, I think, you know, there's always sort of (laughs) this mentality, like when you're a founder, you know, you have to get, roll your hands up, jump in there, just like get it done. And I think when I started this journey, I was, you know, a little bit more looking for external help as far as like somebody else will know best and like we'll find the expert and like tap into their knowledge base, which we definitely do a lot of. But I think there's so much value in just like you trying it out first, seeing seeing how it goes and then kind of adapting. So my co-founder Claire is, is really good at that, just being like, okay, we're going to like, you know, I was like, we need help with Amazon. Like we need to find an Amazon expert to get our shop page up and running and stuff. And she was like, let's just give it a shot, see how it goes. And like, we can adapt from there. Um, And that mentality has really helped us be able to sort of pivot and iterate fast. We, like I said, had to switch all of our channels pretty much overnight. And if you were to look at the graph of our revenue, you wouldn't even know that that happened. And a lot of that was just because we were like, okay, let's try, (laughs) let's give it a shot. And then we can kind of take it from there. So I think that being able to to live in that mindset has been really helpful. Um, and what I would pass on to, to other people in this space as far as like, give it a shot. And then you can, you know, always, always find someone who knows more to kind of give you the help fill in the gaps where you're missing them. I think that's such a great piece though, because sometimes I think that it can be a reason to stall versus mm-hmm. just going for it and we're going to put it up and might not be perfect, but it's progress. And then we can, you know, adjust down the way, but progress is always better than perfection, 100%. And I love that 
even though you guys were able or that you did have this huge shift in this year in terms of your business model, it didn't show up in your numbers. You were able to like pivot and make things happen really quickly to just be like, okay, we need to adapt. You guys, I definitely get the sense that you and Clara are both the type of people who are like, all right, well, this needs to be done. Okay, we'll just go and do it. It is what it is, which I think is a really key attribute to have as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think, you know, I came from sort of a East Coast upbringing and like went through sort of traditional pathways of school and sort of traditional pathways of what success looks like. And I think this whole entrepreneur journey has kind of upended that. And it's like really leaned into like fail fast, fail often, and then try again. Um, And so, yeah, it's just been a whole lesson in resiliency, which is, you know, my new definition of what success really is. That's a great definition. Was that uncomfortable at the beginning, making that that shift to like get to that type of mindset that you're you're in right now? For sure. I feel like um, on, along this journey, you, especially if you're in sort of CPG and grocery, you get a lot of no's. Like some people will tell you that all the time, but being able to like pick yourself back up and just try again, um, even with the same companies, I think is is really inspiring. I know on average, it takes me about seven emails to get a response from a grocery buyer. And you're like, I'm always surprised after seven emails with no response. Somebody's like, yeah, sure. Send me a sample. And you're like, I'm really happy I didn't give up after email five because I never would have been here. So um, I think that, yeah, it's definitely been a lesson in patience and kind of just follow-up, follow-up, follow-up um, can never be overrated. And that's it. if you're really like invested in in what you're doing and, and sharing that mission with everyone else. But yeah, there are the moments where <laughs> as a type A person, I'm like, where is the things I can just check off my to-do list or like say like I accomplished this for today and I rarely get that moment. So it's about celebrating the little wins uh, to like help us get through. Yeah, absolutely. And that that follow-up is so key and that like finding ways to celebrate the little wins. That little win can be, you know, it can be getting a reply from a, from a retailer. It can be, you know, heck, the fact that I did reach out to the retailer today, especially because it can feel so uncomfortable to do those things a lot of times. But I think you nailed it. Like when you believe in the mission that you're doing, then you almost have to do it, right? Yeah, we have like a little... uh a channel in our Slack that says wins. And it's like anything that is remotely, you know, exciting goes in there just to like, you know, get that little dopamine rush when it, that channel lights up and you're like, we did something. Yay. But I also, I used to work in big tech and uh, ran a women's diversity program there. And one thing that we implemented for all of the the female employees and, and any employee, but especially female employees was at the end of every week to write down three things you accomplished so that when you're going into your, you know, <laughs> quarterly review or your annual review, um, you can look back and like say, hey, here are some really tangible things that I did that I built. Um, and that, you know, is really important to, to both growing your career, but also being able to advocate for yourself. And we do that as a brand too, because we're like, okay, here are the things we accomplished. You can look back at that wins channel and take that to investors and say, hey, <laughs> these are the things we did. Even though like, you know, you want our revenue to be at this certain number, like we're on our way there. And these are the milestones that we've hit on that on that journey. That's such a huge piece to be able to take that for your guys self and for outside, you know, investors or retailers or whatever it may be, focusing on those positive pieces. Because sometimes, let's be honest, you just need to look at those two. If you've like heard two, one too many no's for like the month, you're like, okay, let me just look at this to like remind ourselves that we have great traction, that we are doing great things, that we're making real impact is what we're saying. 
hundred percent. Yeah, definitely need that when you're like, and the shipping didn't come in again today. Packaging is backlogged. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. having all of these issues. Yeah, there's there is light at the, in the end of this tunnel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any final words that you want to share with anyone who is in the food and bev space, who is like in it right now and looking for some words of wind, wisdom on their journey? What can you share with everyone? Well, I guess kind of playing off what I said earlier, as far as like, just get in there and do it. I would also say like, one of my favorite parts about being in food is sort of just the camaraderie that exists between founders. And especially over 2020, I've just found people to be so generous with their time and stuff over like Slack communities, like Startup CPG or um, Consumer Packaged People or other, all these other groups that have popped up. Like there's one called Female Food Foundry on Facebook. Um, And just like, people, if you have a question, like people are really willing to answer it. They want to partner with you. And like, you know, we really subscribe to the rising tides, lift all boats mentality. So, um, I would just say, yeah, definitely, you know, people are really excited to talk to you if you're excited about your product. So get it out there talk to people. Um, we'd love to partner with people. So if anybody is interested in, in working with us, um, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, I love that. The CPG world is, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I swear <laughs> it's got the best people. Like people are so willing to help, so willing to connect. And it is just a great group of people trying to make impact with their food and really want to help each other do that in whatever way that that makes sense. So I, I totally agree. Reach out to people ask questions, partner. It's a great group of people in CPG at big companies, small companies, everywhere in between. Um, everyone's willing to help each other grow, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think we've been lamenting the the lack of trade shows just because we miss seeing all our friends in person. But um, yeah, have been pleasantly surprised by how much of that we're still able to do virtually despite the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I know you and I connected over um, in a Slack channel as well, CPG Connect. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic community to be able to just plug into one another and uh, yeah, help each other grow, which is fantastic. For sure. Awesome. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for sharing the journey of Renewal Mill today on the Food Founders Podcast. Uh, and I look forward to watching you guys grow and so excited for your growth and for the upcycle movement as a whole continuing to evolve and helping consumers do their part in, in what they can do to fight climate change. Thanks so much for having us. And yeah, we look forward to staying in touch. And um, if anybody wants to find us, we're at Renewal Mill on any of the social channels and at RenewalMill.com. So definitely look forward to, to connecting. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.